podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I mean, I'm hoping when this goes live, um, it should be that brilliant graphic that I've made. And all, all of our viewers can now see the hours and hours of effort it took to make that um, wonderful mm. graphic to celebrate our status as uh, Mexico's favourite rugby league podcast. But if I press that, we'll, we'll appear instead. So that's, uh, that's good news. Uh, welcome well, to the program. on their hats while they listening. I don't know. I mean, I hope so. I thought they were very excited because it's been. Yeah, there. it was a lot of show. I saw in that picture. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, be, be, be glad that you know I learned how to do graphic design twenty odd years ago before they could do things properly. So, no, never mind. Welcome to the program. It is Monday. It is five o'clock. Cracker Jack. Yeah, yeah. So no, too and young. I, yeah. no, I, oh no! Not, no not, another <laughs> cultural reference. <laughs> I mean, it's just. It's great because I'm 40, 40 in a few weeks, a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, so, I'm 42. And I still feel young. There shouldn't, shouldn't be that big of a gap. I don't believe how old I feel. Welcome to the programme. Um, next will be morning squad numbers and teams wearing <laughs> away shirts and alternative shirts and this and that and the other. Well, where do we want to start? Where do we want to start this week? Because it's been a, an interesting week on and off the field as ever, but yeah. I think there's t- two places to start. One is to congratulate Salford on their record crowd for Super League, which I think again is a fan- fantastic effort because they've worked around it just being a game. They, they've managed; it was Armed Forces Day, and they've, they've got a lot of interest around the fixture um, and been repaid handsomely with a number of people that turned up. So well, well done to them. Quick to jump on the back of clubs that don't attract fans, so. They certainly deserve credit for, for a record attendance. Mm. Um, and then obviously the whole build-up to the, the Leeds-Huddersfield game, which I think, again, illustrated or highlighted what we do best, and we being the sport of rugby league. Um, I think Sky deserve enormous credit, first of all, because the idea of getting the whole of the match themed around the Borough family is one thing, getting the kids involved in a manner in which not only they were consummate in what they did, I, you know, people will not appreciate how hard it is to do live television and they were fantastic um, but also to subvert a lot of their normal build up to allow that to be such a I don't know you run out of words don't you a heartwarming way of approaching something mm. that is so tragic I think the other thing and, I, and I'm told it was Brian Carney's idea was to link up what was happening into the ground on the big screen. Yeah, I thought that was a great idea. Which was fantastic, because then you've suddenly got 14,500 people, not only providing the backdrop Mm. to it, but invested in it. And Mm. it it wouldn't have been quite the same if they'd have had the normal pre-match build-up. You could see that something was happening on the pitch, and then you're going, we'll all rush Mm. home and watch it on the telly. For, for For you to actually be part of it, didn't only mean more, but actually the, there really was a tidal wave of emotion, very similar to the game where Rob played his last game and got got the band back together. Yeah. It felt it felt the same, and irrespective of what happened after that on the field, and I'm sure we'll talk about that and the implications of it. That half an hour, you know, the, the way Barry McDermott agreed to be almost the, the stooge, yeah, absolutely fantastic. You know, Brian Carney was himself brilliant to have the Mickey taken out of him. And the coaches, I think, deserved enormous credit. You know, th- that was minutes before a big game for both of them. Billed as a mini grand final by Rowan Smith. A lot of pressure on both of them. And yet, you could tell they were both parents. They both bought into the fact that they were being interviewed by two people who were 
very very special and that you would hope that if you were ever in that position you know the same thing could be afforded to you and your family and the whole thing just you know say under the most tragic of circumstances and the reason why we're doing it was glorious for all the wrong reasons agree you've summarised it really well to be honest there's not, not much more to add I, I just thought it was great I, I know Sky get a lot of flat don't they and people praise Channel 4 but it was it was really good to see them do something different and almost that's almost an idea that they could replicate again potentially do it in something in a different scenario I get that but by engaging the crowd I, I thought your point was really good it, it's almost like live theatre wasn't it yes. because they were your live audience and then you've got an audience at home but you get the reaction from the live audience I thought that worked really well and the girls were outstanding uh, it must have been a really proud moment for for both Rob and, and uh, his wife Lindsay. I, I think the other thing that came across apart from I don't think there wasn't anybody who didn't have tears in their eyes um, was when Rob smiled when the crowd in the middle of the second half got the picture of him on the screen started chanting his name and spontaneously he smiled because we know what difficulties he's going through at the moment we saw you know how exhausted he was at the end of the marathon. Um, similarly, after the 10k, when when the kids pushed him, it really tired him out. But that was spontaneous. That that you know, in the situation in life that he's in, is is the best you could have expected. And again, forget the score. That moment probably was more important than anything else. It was it. It's a brilliant reflection on what we can do and I know that obviously you were at an event on Sunday which is yeah. we're talking completely different but yeah. something that the game can do um, and when we do it well that's why we're the greatest game yeah. well let's talk about something how was it because we, 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 we spoke about it last with the, the concept yeah. building up to last week how was it yeah it was good It was that was the second Pride uh, game I'd been to at Keithley uh, guests of Carrie and, and Ryan and they, they put on a really good show uh, they they'd sort of painted the, the terrace in in pride colours and trans, the trans flag colours, and coming for some inevitable criticism on social media <laughs> during the week. But look, I think for me, people just get the wrong end of the gist or the stick of it. It was about there's lots of stands that are named after people. This was just a pride stand. That doesn't mean you've got to be gay to stand in it or a lesbian yeah. to stand in it. Look, please. It was just about celebrating what that club is. You know, is has really, I suppose, put rugby league on the map for it. Became the first club to do it in, in professional sport. They had uh, the sports minister there yesterday, Stuart Andrew, MP for, for Pudsey, uh, as long as uh, alongside the local MP Robbie Moore, and it was just a great event, as I, as I think I've said before, from young to to old, um, from straight to gay, everybody sort of got involved and bought into the spirit of it, and it obviously helps when when Keithley go on and then win, indeed, uh, and it was I'm a not sure why. True, but I, I mean, there weren't an awful lot of white white Evan fans there. There was probably a coach load, but you know, it helped the party atmosphere. Um, the, the, the weather certainly in the first half did. The second half, it tanked it down. But um, but no, it was it, it, you know, it, it is a special day, and uh, you know, for somebody who is gay to go to a sporting event and and that to be front and center, and and to feel as though everybody's sort of in, um, you know genuinely a part of it. Um, is really special, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, commend what they do. I know they, they do come in for some stick, um, but you know, fair play. I mean, it, just in terms of Keithy and the club, it was a really interesting conversation. I got talking to Stuart Andrew and to Robbie Moore, and the work that they've been involved with, uh, particularly in 
Keithley and their relationship with IMG and not just that but the new stand so they've currently got planning application in to demolish the old wooden stand and replace that with a new stand Keithley the town got a, about £36 million of uh, town deal money and about £2 million of that is going to that project so subject to planning that, that will be delivered in the next probably couple of years so so again, actually, for all of their criticism of what IMG are trying to do, that's the blueprint, isn't it? Like, yeah. Be the best you can be, have these criteria you can measure yourself against, and then you've got the opportunity to be yeah. move forward as a club. So They were live I on Sky Sports News. I understand Sports their ob- objections yeah. initially when we had them on yeah. the show, but actually what they're being asked to do is, is a roadmap for yeah. how to sustain the club in the future I suppose in many ways they would probably say well they were doing that anyway and they would continue to do that but you're right that you know they, they were live on Sky Sports News yesterday with Stuart Andrew and, and, the, and, the, and the local MP talking about um, you know an important issue for the club and again putting rugby league on the map mm-hmm. uh, for the right reasons and um, and yeah off the field they've, you know they've grown the crowds they've, they've got the plan in place to produce a new stand and so that you know there, there appears to be progress being made and I guess that's what you, you know, if you're a supporter of Keithley and a, and a rugby league supporter in general, that's what you want to see. Cl- cl- and and if forward. that progress supersedes their progress on the field, that's not a bad thing either. Now. No. It's just actually changing the focus and saying it doesn't have to all be about go and spend money you don't have on some Antipodean players who aren't necessarily good enough. Yeah. It's actually have a plan that's two, five, ten years down the line and make something that is almost an irresistible case as to why you need to be in Super League. Of which the playing factor isn't as significant now as it would have been if it was solely promotion relegation. That's yeah. just suit what they're doing. I mean, interestingly, yesterday before the game, they were <laughs> visibly uh, under pressure. You know, with the if way they, if they'd lost that. Yeah, the way that the, 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 the season had been going, the results that the, they'd had today, particularly with the game the week before, having lost away at Newcastle. Uh, by two points, they were, they, you know, they clearly had felt the pressure. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, it was a relief from their point of view to get the win uh, yesterday. But you know, again, if that would point to IMG's plan is that, that it's not all about what you do <laughs> on field. So if you're doing off-field activity yes. that, that's that's moving the, the the game in the right direction, then then you should be rewarded. So and not worry about relegation the same way you think you're yeah. being denied promotion. And inevitably, in the championship with two teams going down uh, and them losing two points to Newcastle the week before they've and sort of closed that gap yeah, absolutely Swinton winning that that bottom probably six seven teams it's it's going to be really tight uh, and, and each game each week is going to be huge I mean Keithley played Bradford away uh, this week which they beat Bradford at home mm-hmm. comfortably but the way that Bradford have been playing with the exception of this weekend away at Toulouse but I think there's yet to be a team going winning Toulouse that will be another big test for Keithley to go to, to Bradford and try and repeat what they did a few weeks ago. So, yeah, no, you know, away from what happened on the field, it was just great to be part of a of an event and, and to be warmly welcomed by a number of spectators. But uh, it's amazing when you finish how how well received you are. <laughs> we, we had a couple of comments on YouTube after the, the the show last week saying that they go to uh, rugby league to sports or whatever to escape from the real world to escape from politics now I was, I was going to say well this is not a political thing but they're MPs there aren't they but you know, that's what MPs do what we've seen though this weekend and you can say Armed Forces Day that's a political thing it's yeah. invented by the government the previous one the other lot um, Friday at Headingley 
the Prime Minister promised, pledged £50 million, pounds, mm. was it? £20 million still to come. Everything's politics. I know we we all try we all try we all have escapism. It's hard to escape from the real world. It's impossible unless you create your own. It's intrinsically linked. Yeah, you can't split. It's politics with a small p. It's not Conservative Labour. You know, and and again, people have their own views on MPs, and but you just can't separate. Sport is society. Society is sport, Um, and you know. what did we see? A record crowd yesterday at Salford mm. with Armed Forces Day and the event that they put on there. You know whether that, you know, was it just because of that event? I don't know, but uh, there's lots of things that we do in rugby league. Lots of events that we put on. Uh, game at Batley a few weeks ago where they've got the Clostomy game. Yeah, they've got fantastic. the issue with Joe Cox and all yeah. that. Yeah, there's lots of events, lots of games. So let's not sort of just, you know, wave the rainbow flag on this occasion and then have a go at somebody for for doing that. It's yeah. this is obviously how you can improve the Western Terrace at Headingley Field just painting because <laughs> obviously you can't do anything with it I mean you are Leeds it's all your fault so all those people moaning about Leeds when they lose when they nobody's lose. interested when they win just have to put some put some paint on there have it the Pride Terrace memo to Paul Caddick notorious <laughs> Western Terrace as it was in the in the, the cricket days I miss those days um, Rick has been on question chats he says in fact, he directed this straight to you on Twitter, so you might have read this already. The six again rule for Rook offence is surely the most pointless rule for any team in their own half wanting to clear their lines with a kick. Isn't it time to change this rule so it only applies if the benefiting team are in the opponent's half? Discuss. Discuss. We've discussed it before, in fairness. I think Rick actually, I don't know if he still is, but he was a match official. Uh, it's the same person, I think, you know. Uh, we've discussed it before. I, I agree with where the NRL's gone with it. I think it, it's not the half, it's the 40. Um, and, I, and I think that's probably working more effectively down under. Uh, I think I would I would be surprised if it doesn't get introduced next season in Super League. So I think it, I would imagine the coaches would support it too. Although <laughs> many a team will exploit it as it as it currently stands. It, I think it's frustrating for the referees, probably frustrating for the players, and frustrating for the spectators. But as is often the way, when you introduce a law, uh, there are consequences to that and. Teams will find a way around to Which suit the yeah, and no doubt in another year or two times somebody will have worked out how to sort of circumvent that system. But yeah, I think I think it will change. Did anyone see any economy games this week? Because no one cares about that anymore. That was last week. Media only went to one. <laughs> <laughs> you want a question? Apparently, the overall number of penalties is coming down. Oh, what a surprise! But again, you don't know whether that's because the knowledge of the first few is starting to filter through, or you're dealing with teams who are differently coached or at different levels of their development it's it, the academy is, is meant to be um, a proving ground uh, clearly teams like London and Newcastle are at a different level of, of where their players are to a Leeds or a Bradford who are, you know, have had their kids in their system for a lot longer and, and obviously brought up with with rugby league in their blood so yeah it, it, it will it will even itself out at the end of the trial will be an analysis we merely commented on the first game because we actually witnessed it and it had some good points and it had some ones that needed addressing and it had some others that you thought if the ball's in play a little bit more there's a little bit more offloads because the tackle isn't as smothering as it used to be maybe that element of it needs looking at a bit but can't judge it even on what we've had at the moment two weeks you've got a question as well I I haven't Uh, Brian Wood sent in a question which if my phone works (laughs) you you can uh, leave comments throughout the week on on the video 
I mean, it helps if you watch the video throughout because then I get about 3p in, in YouTube, so that, that's good. Um, so do watch the video or just like, randomly tweet us. Brian, it says. That's um, called filling that, that's professionalism. Very good. <laughs> James has got a whole agenda I just got the League Express to see what's going on it says podcast that's the title I thoroughly enjoy listening to the podcast I only read that bit out because obviously love the show Steve yeah, yeah I love the show it was interesting listening to James discussing refereeing big matches I wondered if he would like to comment on the Morgan Smithies incident in last year's cup final no axe to grind keep up the good work Brian the other show no, yeah, they were he's, a, he's a Lee fan. Oh, I think. Yeah, I think my memory serves me right. I think he committed two high tackles. I think in that game, didn't he? And I, well, in hindsight, he, he should have gone to the bin. Um, I, having said that, I think they charged him with two separate Grade B offences. From memory serves me right, and then they then they also charged Luke Yates with a, mm. a Grade B high tackle. Which look, it. it, it to some extent, it's difficult on a major game as to as to the level you, you're at in terms of um, foul play. Um, the way we'd gone last year was after a third of the way, we'd been issuing red and yellow cards like they were going out of fashion, and then we sort of <laughs> we backed away from that to some extent because ultimately that's what the public and the players and the clubs wanted. And then it's about trying to find that balance, and and probably on that day I got it wrong. Um, you know. It, it, on reflection, but that's just the nature of it. You know, at the time, I actually didn't think. Yeah, I knew it was. A, I knew it was a, a penalty, and I was between penalty and a sin bin. And, and given the given the occasion, you've got to be at one hundred percent certain. Uh, and I think, on the basis, it was his second go. I think on that second occasion would have been the occasion when he would have gone to the sin bin. Thank you. If any journalists are watching, there's your headline: top former official admits cup final blunder. There you go, and that's that's tomorrow's that's tomorrow's story. <laughs> that's, that's it done. We need we need we need more controversial things on the program because that's how it works. Tim Sheen oh, said something on a podcast in Australia, and everyone goes woo. Interesting what he said though. Yeah. Mm. Salford Hull KR merger. Devil Robins. Mm. Devil May Care Robins. But they played at Liverpool. Oh, and Cumbrian Lakes Newcastle with the yeah. British Bull yeah. um, Josh Griffin we spoke about him for ages on the, on the programme last week and caused much debate among well Hull fans really because everyone else was just oh, apart from the people who, said, who wanted to be contrarian and say well the other fellow he nearly killed someone and he should have got signed I banned but Josh Griffin said some naughty words and got seven games surprised at seven games? Yeah, yeah I was to some extent because I think similar cases in the past have probably not been dealt with as severely um, but as we were saying before we started that you know Josh McGuire got seven games uh, for the comments that he'd made um, now whether they've taken a stronger view this season on on, on that level of dissent uh, and as we know as we've read the minutes post our podcast last week <laughs> he'd clearly gone through various stages he'd, he'd sort of chunted something which he was, Chris Kendall wasn't able to hear initially and he ignored that uh, at which point the penalty was given then the half time hooter goes he blows the uh, whistle for half time he has another go Chris then decides to bring out the yellow card and he chooses to continue having a go at which point he then calls him a cheat basically so as I, s I think we sort of said there's no f there's no surer way to get sent off and that's to question the integrity of the referee um, and 
it might be the subject of my article in the July uh, issue of the magazine. Um, Birthday issue, I think. Yeah. Um, Just a hot topic, I suppose, around dissent. And my frustration with it was the reaction by by a a fairly large number on social media. (laughs) A, him being sent off. Um, and be at the length of the suspension but just go back to one point which is what I made last week and people still objected to it was that somebody sort of said well if you'd got the decision right the red card wouldn't have occurred well it's nonsense is that you can get a decision correct and the player can still object to the decision Mm -hmm. because he doesn't like the decision or he believes the decision to be incorrect but actually it is proven to be correct so even if you get a decision correct and I, I think on that particular decision it's inconclusive either way even if you get a decision correct, it can still lead to dissent, and it would have ended or could have ended at the point he's in Bindim, and he choo- chose to carry on. And in the, what he said, he, he, he's just left himself um, open to to a, the charge. And obviously, the way they've gone this year, they've gone pretty heavy on the charge. Now, the next point is that people then complain that, well, hang on a minute, a fellow's got landed on his head, and he's got six matches. But well, they are apples and oranges. But w- one thing I would say is. I think it was I can't remember the name of the player now that did it the lead player last week um, but when he did it he immediately put his hand up yeah. he immediately recognised that what he'd done was wrong yeah. now if you compare that if we're going to compare to Griffin Griffin had one chunter which wasn't Chris wasn't able to hear he then had another go he was sanctioned for it and then he chose to have another go so he's had actually three bites of the cherry <laughs> the lead player didn't pick that player up and dump him on his head three times no. so if you're talking about was it intentional? I, I think well, there's, there's two issues coming out of this. One about dissent generally in society, mm. but particularly in rugby league. There are a lot of uh, missives flying about at the moment about touchline behaviour in the community game, about responsibilities that parents and coaches have uh, for touchline management and all that kind of thing. I think if, if Josh Griffin hadn't been sanctioned in the manner in which he had, it's very hard to get that message out at any other level of the game. You know, respect as a policy has to be priority number one at the moment. It's a mm. major issue that is affecting a lot of touchlines and is put, putting people off. Yeah. So that's one thing, and I think it is related. It, you know, he, he as a, I don't like to use, I don't think players necessarily are role models, but their actions and behaviours transfer very quickly onto touchlines and, and, and are mimicked by yeah. kids. So I think the one thing is that punishment is not just the punishment for that offence it's the punishment that the game is trying to meter out to say we don't want any of this mm. and that's that's fine by me I think the other thing is I don't believe in this whataboutery it's, it's like you said it's apples and oranges you cannot compare cases that are completely different if you look at Hugo Salabio who put a player on his head in the Wakefield Leeds game a couple of weeks before he got seven matches Kyle O'Donnell gets six they are comparable you can mm. look at those and say is that a fair punishment for O'Donnell? It probably is. It's in the realms of Salavio, actually, um, you know, he had the ball in his hand. It was it, He was lost it, and at the same time he's losing the ball, he's tipping a player. Slightly, probably worse for the player that he's doing it to because they weren't going into a tackle. Mm. They, they were the, you know, everyone's an innocent party, but clearly they didn't have the ball at the time. Um, so that makes sense if you compare those two. Don't compare a tip tackle with dissent you know what will be interesting I think is and we might hear a bit more about is is what we next do about hip drop tackles because the other thing coming out of the disciplinary today is 
Um, clearly that James Harrison has got two matches for an incident with Nathan Massey where again Massey a little bit um, uh, a little bit like a previous hip drop tackle that ended uh, the season of Wigan Prop forward whose name I can't remember mm-hmm. at the moment um, do we need to be harder on hip drop tackles because they're creeping into the game and so compare that too much sanction with Absolutely, no, I think you raise a fair point there because if you look at the consequence of when a tackle can go wrong, then it can end somebody's season, yep. could end their career in yep. the same way that you know you could break somebody's neck with a you know with a dangerous spear tackle. So you know I, I, I get that. So there's an argument there that the that that, that actually um, what's his name James um, Harrison. Harrison has got it's actually got lucky yes. to some extent. Um, so you could constantly go on and compare. I mean, one of the comments I also saw was about. Oh well, the referee. You know, the referee should be. You know, should be. He sort of lost his composure at the time when you know when Griffin said what he said and branded this yellow card in 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 response, which is just nonsense. I mean, imagine if the referee spoke to a player in the same way, and the consequences that would have that would have for a referee. Somehow, people expect that referees should be you know as calm as ever, which they are. They are they are generally the calmest people on the field, but. There's many a times when a referee would love to say something to a player, <laughs> but the microphone prevents it. Um, yeah, you could you could carry on forever in a day, but ultimately for me, it's about the potential consequences. If if it's been seen to be weak action, that has far more potential impact on yeah. the on the wider game yeah. uh, for the recruitment and retention of, of, of match officials. And uh, something today that was shared on social media that I saw by a rugby union, rugby union referee. Uh, and the abuse that he'd received uh, recently on social media uh, directed to him for decisions again on, on a game and I, I just think it's it's just entirely unacceptable uh, and it, is it about time that clubs started to take action? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I know of some instances where the recipients of that abuse have then reported it to the employer of the person that's abusing uh, and, and that's faced consequences for them and mm-hmm. in their employment and frankly so, so it should yeah. well thank you people who replied to either the RFL's tweet about the decision or even just to to our video last week who were easily identifiable as human beings and not um, pretend photos so I'm not plugging that in um, it's easier for clubs to find these people and tell them off ban them from grounds but I don't know why clubs don't do that especially when they are easily identifiable I mean I've had people message me as I say directly where they've got their names attached to it so it's quite easy to identify yeah. who they are um, I'm trying to think who the boxer was that went round and yeah, it was in Sheffield wasn't it he confu- yeah, confronted some I'm on your street come yeah. out oh yeah, <laughs> yeah suddenly backtracked <laughs> yeah would it ever explain to you why not they make the RFL don't make a big song and dance about who's refereeing whose games, but they publicly announce them, and then every media outlet that needs to fill the internet will say, "This week, James Charles is going to Wakefield, who he hates, and uh, they never win when he's there." Did they ever explain why they announce them publicly? Because it doesn't seem to do anyone any good. No, I don't. No, I don't know really. I mean, it's like when I got the grand final in seventeen. I just knew what was coming. <laughs> it was like, nobody's going to say, "Oh, great, really pleased that James Charles got the grand final." Well, no one was you talking know, like, to uh, about you know. the build-up. By Friday, so, no one was talking about it. No. So it was all right. You just, but you're right. You know what's going to come. So yeah, it's 
yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it's always seems there, to be there that was the, always some excitement in the old <laughs> the days, days where you had to buy a program to see who the referee was. Yeah. And, oh no, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the, always the way that seem to put on tries which uh, in, it shouldn't have been given because there's some error that's in the build up, <laughs> and then there's just an avalanche of comments. You think, uh, yeah, maybe it should be checked before it goes on. Or possibly should do like with you know, most clubs are doing with crowds at the moment and not mention it. Yeah. I mean, Phil says you should be running the referees department. You don't want a job like that. Do you? <laughs> You've got a proper job. Um, so praise for they go for Leeds and Salford and Keithley for having events and getting crowds. On in the other side well. of that. On the other side. Of it. Okay. I would say before you go on. Oh, yes. On social media, which did make me laugh at the weekend was Hulk AR's response oh, yes. to Chris Kendall when he came out to warm up <laughs> and they were all clapping him which was much to the irritation of the Hull FC fans then on social media but I once <laughs> I once got dropped um, and then the game I should have been refereeing was Hulk AR and Steve Ganson took my place and as, as a punishment I was then sent to touch judge for Steve Ganson on the game that I knew I was supposed <laughs> to referee so when I came out to warm up with Steve Ganson, they were all sort of booing. So Steve Ganson then started pointing at me, so all the boos were directed at me. I mean, that's team shit for that's you, isn't it? Work. That's teamwork. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> Just a couple of things. This weekend, clearly, um, there was some great stuff that was put online. But I don't understand why the women's nines was on our league, and at the same time, the wheelchair... Um, inclusivity around in Manchester was on the sportsman mm. so you couldn't watch both in their entirety you, you either had to flip between them or pick one or the other but the women's nines were at Salford there's 7,900 people there would they have filled the stadium if the women's nines had kicked off at 10 o'clock at Salford and led into the men's game mm. um, this weekend merely something that, that Leeds have put out um, on Thursday night, the Leeds men's team is travelling to Warrington for a game that's on Sky. At the same time, the Leeds under-16 team is at home on a Thursday night against Wakefield, which doesn't make any sense. The Leeds under-18 team on Saturday is playing Warrington away. Mm. Again, why could those two matches not have been one the curtain raised the other? But to make it even worse, on Sunday, the Leeds women's team is away at Warrington playing at the same venue that the under-18s are. So if you're not going to have a double-header between the under-18s and the men's, why do you have a double-header with the under-18s yeah, and the women? You're absolutely right. With so why many teams, But with so many teams having women's teams and academy teams, then you would think it would be almost... You mirror the, the fixture list for the season from following oh, on from the men's. clubs now would be saying, like we've been praising them for, for events that they're putting on, are saying, which fixtures can we put together and make it an even better experience mm. for the fans? If you're an away fan and you're thinking, oh, you know, my, my son's playing in the under 18s I'll go early and watch the women the women yeah. why, why do they expect anybody to make three trips to Warrington in three days it's just not going to do I mean, it, always used, it, it never used to cease to amaze me that um, when we'd arrive usually an hour and a half before kickoff, people would the, the, the turnstiles would open and people would walk in mm. and there'd be nothing on for an Absolutely. hour and a half people would <laughs> want to get to their spot on the terrace and stand there in the freezing cold in February to looking at uh, just the, you know, the, the, the turf whereas if you put something on at yeah. least they've got to but, look to but watch but surely again the whole idea of IMG of re, re the sport and making it an event part of it is we want to talk about the results clearly in the league tables but we want to say 
we had a really good time yeah. and it was really worth going and we've now got all this different product that we can put together and it's like a jigsaw but you could have less games at home if you put more on on those games and more people you're, giving it, you're just giving extra reasons for people to go in the same way that you know I appreciate I had a free ticket yesterday to go to Keighley but there were two friends of mine that went that would not go normally to watch that game and they went because it was the Pride game mm-hmm. and, and, and there would have been other people that would have done that so the more reasons you give people to go to an event or to make it into and an it event. looked like the women's nines was great Yeah, was the PDRL on Saturday as well PDRL yeah. at, at Salford uh, no in Manchester wasn't in it, it? So everything was at the same time as the, the wheelchair I think yeah. and again it's great that we're doing it full credit to everybody for putting them out there it's great that we're televising them but why are we being asked to choose between two of our own agree and, it, and it's the same with this week's fixtures looking at Super League again there's four fixtures on Friday night um, madness I do like the idea of Sunday being a traditional rugby league day when it wasn't until the 70s. Well, another thing as well, two French teams, both playing at home at the same time <laughs> last Saturday. There was an hour's difference between them, but they're two big games. Now, again, is there no way of actually trying to ally, align them in some way that you know they don't clash with each other? It's whole mm-hmm. Catalan, is that on our, is that on our week? Yes. Week? Yes. £6.95 which is a shame because we're now in the middle of summer of course I know Wimbledon starts next week it's the second men's test match starts on Wednesday in the cricket so there isn't really anything on Saturday apart from there's certainly no football on no. so that's why we should be on on a Saturday yeah, I'll just spreading the fixtures out I know, I know we need to make money off our league so I'm not saying give it away for free the right, right, there's the only game on Sunday mm. I wonder what that's telling us no Super League on Sunday, so uh, yeah. no excuses not to go to a game, unless, of course, like me, you're working on Sunday, which was well planned, wasn't it? Never mind. Um, before, because uh, you've got to go soon, is there anything else you want? Oh, no, I've got, still got time, that's fine. What, what do you want to talk about next? Because you've got an agenda. No, it's not an agenda, it was just a reminder of <laughs> some <laughs> things. <laughs> you've prepared, <laughs> we haven't. You've got a running order. Interesting, I saw on social media about uh, Jared Samet being supposedly upgraded from a yellow to a red. It, uh, I don't think that was true. He was just sent off at, at half-time for descent. Um, <laughs> oh, so, not another one. No, and then and then the Yaha tackle in the whole car game caused quite a bit of consternation on social media again. <laughs> um, <laughs> if we got rid of social media, I know that's yeah. where our audience comes from, so yeah. I don't kind of... I mean, it's difficult that because I think the, the footage is isn't the best um, in terms of being able to determine the contact. So I followed looking at the Alex Wormsley uh, charges yeah. for the last couple of weeks. He got charged after I think after the Magic game with a Grade B high tackle. St Helens appealed that, and they got not guilty on the basis that uh, match review panel had a had a burden of proof which they couldn't demonstrate, and. Um, because the point of contact wasn't visible on the on the footage, and that was with Sky's footage, so St Helen successfully got him off. He, he wasn't being banned, but it no. was going to go on to his disciplinary record, yeah. which would have affected him in, in the future. And then, lo and behold, a week after, he then gets charged again with a Grade B high tackle, and this time, he gets he gets banned. I think in perhaps not dissimilar circumstances. I mean, the Yaha tackle just looks like a big hit. Uh, you know, I'll be honest, but I think when you probably break it down, which which is what match review panel will have done today. Um, they will be able to demonstrate they would argue shoulder contact one would imagine or some contact with the head um, and, and that, therefore that's why he's being charged so it will be interesting to see whether Hull KR try and appeal it on the same basis that St Helens did um, so we'll see but ultimately he got charged with a grade B and he's got fined so 
one would that would suggest that the decision to simbin him was was correct. I've now read. I now remembered. I read an article after the Josh Griffin ban, which seemed to insinuate that the, now was it an independent panel he sat in front of because it went to tribunal, didn't it? Yeah, so I was an in, just to clarify for people, the match review panel is completely independent from the RFL. You appreciate they do get paid, <laughs> they get paid by the RFL, but their decisions are not scrutinised week to week by by RFL staff members. They make their decisions independently, as is the disciplinary panel. They don't get paid, but they're, they're, they're independent. Because there was the insinuation that because the match review panel would believe Chris Kendall more because he's an RFL employee rather than. Josh Griffin is not. And I thought that was. I thought that was a very naughty thing to insinuate. Well, d- well, you know, Josh Chandler is not employed by the RFL, but they believe Josh Chandler's claim against Josh Maguire. So uh, just nonsense. Not that you're here only to talk about disciplinary. No. So I think one of the things we should discuss before you go is the tenure of Ian Watson. So I think we can talk about the the Leeds Huddersfield game, but that was a hot talking point after that game. They're going to win. They're going to win a comp. What I would say is. A couple of things. One is when you have the majority of your backline back and players playing in the correct position, particularly your halves, you are a lot better than when you don't have them. So and, and that was one of the reasons why Leeds functioned as a unit a lot better than they had the last time or the last two times they played. Um, I also think it was quite odd that there was a double header at Headingley um, and there was a reserve grade on beforehand <laughs> game, Huddersfield against Leeds. Huddersfield decided to play. I think four or five first team players two, two of them quite notable of Jay Connor was playing mm. and E Masters uh, big overseas signing for this year they won 30-0 um, clearly they're not playing against uh, you know reserve is, is a strange strange level it's mm. often not like against like and there were I think half of Leeds' team were academy lads that were promoted up uh, but clearly they were far too good to play at that level and yet the first team lose 54-0 so you would think that on the balance of the squad that is available to be selected there's some there's some imbalance there um, I thought and nobody needs to tell Ian Watson afterwards that Huddersfield's performance argued was the worst that I've seen this season in Super League and came from the first Leeds try that was that you know all defensive structures that is something that Ian Watson talks about more than anything else fell apart now, it, it was a good pass from Cameron Smith it was a good line from Sam Walters it wasn't good enough to walk straight through and, and score a try and I would also say that that measure of emotion that we talked about at the beginning of the game can go one of two ways it places a huge weight of expectation on on the leads to do something to justify Rob being there and all that kind of thing if Huddersfield had started in the first 10 minutes and quietened that then the result could have been very different once Leeds had gone ahead that, that wave then mm. took them to a 50 point victory mm. Afterwards, Ian Watson gave an 11-minute press conference, which was very impressive from the point of view that he was honest, he was open, he didn't duck any question. He was clearly asked about uh, what he was going to do in response. Um, He was asked about the speculation regarding Justin Holbrook being sat the morning before and how that might impact on... Uh, you know, Huddersfield having to put out a statement saying how dare you link him with us and whether there is <laughs> smoke without fire or does that make his position even even harder he answered every question brilliantly if you want a copy for a newspaper very hard to decide what to put in your match report because all of it was good mm. but then you listen back to it and everything is I there's no we, there's mm. no team the, it, it, the, there's an insinuation of threat but it's all about the coach. 
Now he might be protecting his players, but I just thought that was a bit odd. Bear in mind that you know, I, I don't mind him saying I still think this group can win a competition. It's hard to see it when you've played as abjectly as you have. That you are setting yourself up mm-hmm. potentially for a later fall. But I just found it strange that it was all about what I was going to do, and I thought. Yeah, I saw. I have not seen the press conference in full. I saw his interview on Sky post match, um, which was difficult to listen to and watch, to be honest. Um, uh, but I saw this, I saw a response on social media about about that, which you just mentioned, um, which does seem a little bit odd because I think they are in it collectively. Whether, as you say, he was trying to bear responsibility, but it seemed in the Sky interview he was putting it back on the players. Mm. And, and for me, very early in that game, it just it, it had all the hallmarks of a one-sided game, and I thought this could be very embarrassing for Huddersfield, which is what it turned out to be, because it just looked like the players. I'm not saying they weren't interested, because there were still some try-saving tackles completed in that game, but they just didn't look like they were playing as a unit. They didn't look like they wanted to particularly be there, and, and that was for me more worrying. Uh, and I think that. The conversation that we're having on Sky at the end of the game between the, the summarisers, well, how do you how do you change it then? If you're not going to change your coach, how do you change it? Do you keep dropping players? Do you keep bringing players back in, chopping them around? He's already done that a lot. We've talked yeah. about a lot this season on the podcast about he doesn't appear to know his best team. You know, Jake Connor. There were comments made in the week before the game, wasn't there, about his fitness and it insinuated other things as well that we've sort of told him about that he needs to work on. But again, why would you bring that up halfway through the season? If somebody's got a problem with their fitness, that's something you work on. Is that because he came back from injury, though? Yeah. But, but is that sure. a legacy from the injury at the start of the year? But I think it's the injury that he brought to the club. Who from wanted Jake Connor at Huddersfield? Well, well I, and also, I think it's hard just to blame it on Jay Connor. I'm not blaming Jay Connor. No. No. I, no. I, look, I looked at Tui Lola here on Friday night, who we were consistently told last year by Ian Watson, possibly over-exaggerating it slightly, but you know, had some fantastic performances at fullback. And we were told by Ian Watson on a regular basis he's the best fullback in the competition. Tui Lola here came on as an auxiliary hooker and looked anything other than happy in that mm. role. Um, not because he didn't do it to the best of his ability but that's not what he wants to be doing he wants to be surveying things from the back where he can make his biggest impact uh, join the line when he su- you know he's not mm. there to defend in the middle of the field or distribute the ball to people running either side of him and, and you just think halfway through the season how have, how have Huddersfield got to the point where someone who was such a good fit in a you know, square pegs and round holes one of the reasons the Leeds played well they had a lot of round pegs in round holes you know David Fussitua coming back on the wing was fantastic he's a winger can't mm. play anywhere else really <laughs> you know Austin and Caesar work really well together they don't, they're not fit enough to play together often enough but Austin dominates a game when Caesar is playing because the organisation mm. role is done by one and the free role is done by the other Ash Hanley moving to the wing made nearly or over 200 metres that's what he does and Richie Myler at fullback gives Leeds a different dimension. When everybody's fit, that's where they play. You get the impression with Huddersfield when everybody's fit. I don't know where they should be playing. No, but I mean, Blake Austin got man of the match. But we've seen him have some pretty ordinary games Absolutely. this season, and we've equally seen him play outstandingly well. And that must be frustrating for a coach. To how do you get that level of consistency and performance? Outstandingly well when Aiden Caesar's inside. Mm. 
but and he played. We're talking about a team that lost against Wakefield. Absolutely. What, so what was the, is, is that the main games, difference between, so the, between the two performances? The fact that everyone was in the right position in one game, and uh, I'm not saying that Wakefield wouldn't have won. I, you know, but I think I don't blame that on. No, I think that's important, but I, I don't think that's the only. I think it's what you do with you. They, they had a week off. And clearly, Ian Watson was saying he hadn't seen anything that was telling him this performance was coming, that they trained really well. I think, you know, some clubs use that as a reset. You could tell that Leeds had really helped by the fact that they had some star players back. Um, Huddersfield looked like they got worse with the time off. Only they could answer what they did in that time. It, it looked contrasting. They, they feel like they need to hit the reset button because if if the club is not going to make a change with the coach, and I'm not suggesting they should, by the way, no. But if that if that's not the way that we're going to go, because that that sometimes is going to have a short term fix, but doesn't often fix the long term problem. They feel like they need to hit the reset button and have very honest conversations amongst that squad about what's not occurring what they need to improve on and actually just try and take a bit of pressure off themselves because mm. no disrespect but they've got a, they've got a safety net at the moment mm. of what they're six points ahead no no eight points ahead of Wakefield at bottom who are still struggling they scored what 12 points this week but they're still struggling to score sufficient points <laughs> they, you know, without Wakefield mm. being there Absolutely. there will be trouble, huge yeah. pressure yeah. and actually if they just take a, seat, a step back and say look we're, clearly we're not where we wanted to be at this stage but they've got the flexibility to just try and go back to basics and work on trying to improve their performance who do they play this week Wigan, uh, Wigan. Wigan away which is not going to be easy but and then they've got Catalan away so they've got two very difficult two very difficult games, games but to some extent does that actually does it relieve a little bit of pressure because they're not expected to go into that what, game potentially win what's going to be interesting is the 21 when it's announced mm. because you cannot make threats and then not carry them out. But also, every time you're putting Jake Connor and Isan Masters into the reserves, you've got some rebuilding to do. Then you're going to drop another couple of people maybe this week. I don't know who it will be. It's that's down to to the club. At some point, you're going to need those players. It's going to be really hard. It's very difficult. It's a difficult balancing act to drop people as well. Yeah. The same goes for referees because you know. Uh, you know, there was a criticism when Stewart was in charge that we had six referees, six games in Super League, and nobody ever got dropped. People still think that referees don't get dropped. That's that's not the case. I mean, the group of referees this year has been has been pretty consistent in terms of their appointments, but in previous seasons, they've chopped and changed almost weekly. But that's a difficult balancing act for a, for a coach to try and manage that group because you show you're gonna you're gonna irritate somebody mm. if they feel. That the they them being dropped is unjustified. If they if they buy into why they why they're no longer in the team, then that's fine. But it that's part of the art of coaching, isn't it? But I just think the players have got to look at themselves as well. It's mm-hmm. not just it's not just the coach. Uh, they've got their own standards uh, and expectations that when I, they take to the field. And I, I also think that sometimes it, there is undue pressure by a coach, which may be intentional to get the best out of a player when you see the result you might think it's backfired but you know Ollie Russell coming back into the team suddenly there's a huge amount of pressure put mm. on him by his coach saying that's going to be the difference he's going to turn it around mm. I'm so glad he's back and you're going well A he's coming back from an injury and the one thing that we all know is that it takes time to come back from an injury particularly to play at the very elite level yeah. same with Theo Farge he's clearly a wonderful player his career is littered with great moments but he's coming back from a really serious injury it's going to take him a while but if, if the coach is then saying oh Theo's back in the team so everything will be fine it's, 
it's undue yeah. pressure yeah I think it, it, it's look it's not an easy one to answer is it they, they've no. got to break their next games down into looking at performance indicators as opposed to looking at the result um, because as I say they've got that cushion at the moment and break the game down into five and ten minute chunks almost so set after set after set I know that's boring and it's probably going back to this <laughs> process of the you know going back to sticking at the process but before we give you a yellow card because you've got one yeah. Justin Holbrook is now on the market as an owner of a club that you think might be underperforming do you start finding his phone book and uh, making contact well, we're looking for a new coach aren't they so <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Justin Albrook doesn't want to go yeah. go back to, uh, back to does it side. change that dynamic that somebody who is a proven winner in this competition who desperately now needs to reprove himself probably isn't going to get another head coaching job in the NRL for the foreseeable future might want to come back here prove the Gold Coast Titans wrong Possibly, possibly. Who knows? I mean, you know, with a club like Huddersfield that have got money, uh, possibly it does change things. But uh, you can't make decisions based on the availability of somebody. You've got to make a decision that's right for the club. Uh, and it, and it, and if a coach is is not right for a club, or if a certain player is not right for a club, then it's a bigger picture, isn't it? That they've got to make those brave decisions. Yeah, and I guess you've got to either take the whole route and say we've brought in Tony Smith to do a specific job. It's over. A, length of time we've got players coming in and out of contract we're going to leave him the space to do whatever he needs to do you lose seven games you go yeah but we're not deviating from this True. track but I think if or you... do you suddenly say at this point it's not good enough the mm. players that we've got in house are better than we're playing therefore we can change and if you're going to make a change you have to make a change I would say now yes. because the players are available for signing, as we've seen. We've got, you know, Cruz leaving signing four-year contract at Wigan next year. Uh, Sam, Walters, just signed, Sam Walters, Jackie yeah. Chan. Um, you know, O'Connor's just signed a three-year deal at Leeds, etc. These players are now being tied up. So if you don't change your coach at this stage and bring somebody else new to shape his squad for next year, you end up in a situation whereby, a little bit like Daryl Powell had last year, you end up with a squad that's not yours that you've suddenly got to ch- mm-hmm. turn around, which I would imagine is more challenging than trying to make changes now or and plan changes for next season. Um, and, and if you bring in somebody now that can work with the group under no pressure of, mm. if you make the playoffs, great. If you don't, we've had such a bad season so far. It doesn't. But then you've got them all pre-season as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the reverse argument to that would be, I would say, well, you know, you brought Ian Watson in for for given reasons. Yes. What suddenly really has changed yes. to cha- make him a supposed bad coach? He's not a bad coach. No, he got them to a results are not going his way. Yeah. We talked also about before about them being a number of tight games early on in the season, and actually they'd converted two or three of those mm. games. Actually, they're like on the cusp of the playoffs. So. Two or three games, the results of those can significantly change the view. And without jumping topic again, <laughs> Warrington are supposedly in crisis, but are still second, second in the table. So, yeah. so I'd love know, to be in crisis, <laughs> second in the table. As I said, Leeds lost to Wakefield in their last game, and then we go put fifty-four best, points against them. Oh, so yeah, you know, look, things can change very, very quickly in a week. And I think if if I didn't. I didn't particularly get Huddersfield's statement, by the way, in, no. uh, in response. I thought that was obs- that, that was just odd. Yeah, um, almost better to just not we make any comments. No, yeah, yeah. yeah, so you know, just I think keep things in house, keep the conversations open and honest in house, and, and work week to week, which is dead boring, isn't it? But that's ultimately how you turn things but around. It was a very on Watson-like performance. Yeah. 
Now all I'm thinking about is getting some Sabutio stands for the pitch and then painting them. Which <laughs> them. But they are expensive. So we'll, we'll, we'll have objectors yeah. outside on the pavement on the street lane. <laughs> We've got a dog on the. We've got a pink dog on the pitch. I don't know what's going on? You, you'll be back with us next week, James. Won't you? I shall. Yeah. Good because at least I'll, I'll remember what we're talking about because you tell me before we so, start. Am I being am I being sent off at half time? No, I think Sinbind. Um, and then yeah. if but, but if you call us ch- a cheat, then yeah, we're going to call you, you know, a cheat on the way out. No, because we bought the. Um, oh yeah, bought Mars bar ice creams. Yeah, well, you can do whatever you like. Not not sponsored by <laughs> Mars bar. <laughs> Oh dear! Uh, t- take your camera away for James. Oh yeah, you might need that from Jamie. Oh, thank you. Um, Huddersfield—they're strange, aren't they? I don't know. Just and again, things like social media depends on who you follow. Gives you an impression of certain things. But I think we both follow a lot of rugby league people uh, in general, and I didn't see as much protest <laughs> as you would with certain other clubs now again I don't know what that says um, what what I think is you want to see progression so from where they were last year finishing third and getting to a cup final going out and making some significant signings which it now looks as though they haven't particularly covered Danny Levy's mm. exit as well as they may have done um, they went back to Nathan Peets who clearly knows the, the Ian Watson way uh, but the, the only Huddersfield fans that I saw on social media were saying, you know, that you know, Levy's Levy's lo- a huge loss. Um, but the squad of players is actually overall improved from last year. A lot of media people had them higher up the league, challenging perhaps for a grand final, breaking this monopoly to be tenth out the cup and over half the season gone and having lost by, well, in a manner in which is very. On Huddersfield, like over the last two or three years, I think that's where people start questioning things, and and I, and I right to do so. And Ian Watson said, you know, you you know, I'm, you, I'm, I'm right to be scrutinised. Like Ron Smith getting to the grand final, they, they overachieved. They, not 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 necessarily overachieved, but the, the expectations are higher because of where they were last year. But they, they shouldn't be whatever. Tends but in the do team. you do you embrace that because they were five minutes away from challenge, winning the Challenge Cup? That's not over. Over exceeding expectations, they were good enough to mm. be five minutes away from winning the Challenge Cup. You, you you look to build on that. I get third. Yeah, that would have been great to finish yeah. third. But but there were playoff contenders this year. The likelihood is looking at the league table now, and, and Ian Watson said it himself. You know, we cannot look at where we're going to finish. We can only look at the next game. Logic says because of that log jam in the table, they're not going to make the playoffs. Mm. They would have to win virtually every game. And they're, and they're probably not going to. Huddersfield Town, when they were in trouble, they brought in Neil Warnock. And the Neil Mor- Warnock of Rugby League is in front of me. He's John Kay. It's his, his book. Have you got some copies of it? Can you buy these in the shop? No, that's the, I think, the last one. The last one? Good book. He could, he could go here. He's our guest. He's going to fall over. Um, he's been let go by witness. Mm. who were beaten by Swinton yesterday great result for Swinton that bottom of the championship I mean the, the bottom of Super League is irrelevant because we know what's going to happen there but the bottom of the championship you've got Newcastle on five points you would assume that they probably are in bother because they are five points behind Swinton and York and York have got a massive game on Wednesday going to Whitehaven haven't they and then they've got to play again on, on Sunday against Halifax so York have got a massive week Barrow on 11 Whitehaven on 12 as mentioned Whitehaven playing 
York on Wednesday. Keithley on 12 now after that win. Nat James was out on Sunday. And just above them, London and Witness. Now, Witness are five points outside the playoffs, but four points outside the relegation zone. I don't think they're going to get relegated. It, 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 but what do I know? I've not seen much championship rugby this season. But obviously, they've made the decision that now's the time for a coach they brought in to steady things, to get rid of him, to shake things up again, I guess. I think it was James Gordon on social media, who is a follower of Witness, mm. uh, commentates on the, their games, said that this will now be the seventh season in succession that Witness have ended it with a different coach. <laughs> and you would look at that and say, is, is that the issue? Which is not to point the finger at the people that run the club mm. now is the issue that uh, unless there is some kind of stability and it's back to the discussion we've just had about Ian Watson a view of where you want to be and how you want to get there and somebody is given the time to undertake that you're always going to be just changing your coach and, and as a club not moving forward I, I'm not sure what a club like Widners at the moment expects um, where they think they should be in the pyramid why um, John Keir going solves a long-standing problem um, who they turn to next I, I genuinely don't know um, it came as a shock to me when I when I saw that because obviously we're, we're big fans of John mm. I think the, the job that he's done in the sport is amazing I think where, wherever he's gone he's, he's invariably left the team in a better place than they were when he arrived he is a as you say a bit of a troubleshooter um, can still clearly do a job I think it was uh, felt that he, he was prematurely um, ousted from his position at, at Bradford when they were undergoing similar mm -hmm. turmoil and change um, yeah I, 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 I always get the perspective from supporters and obviously I am a supporter of a club he used to coach that when it's not going well when you're not winning every week it's easy to criticise his style of play because it, it's pragmatic it, yeah. it, it's not expansive it is what it is but when it gets results it's fine because you're not bothered but when it doesn't get results then you know but you know he'll be back somewhere because somewhere else will need that fire, that firefighting yeah, I don't know where I don't know absolutely. where it'll be. I'm surprised I'm, I'm, I'm not on the Wakefield Facebook group yet I'm sure they're all saying I'll come back as director of rugby and, and all that kind of thing well of course, but of course James that, Ford um, hasn't yet yeah. been replaced has he so I mean it wouldn't necessarily be the, the worst idea would it to have him as a well it may even help Mark Applegarth and somebody who I suspect that the pair will have worked together mm. when Mark was uh, was working on the academy area you know, John would have been the coach there so it's not that like as if they're unknown to each other it might be a good fit you don't want to you just look at the league table in whichever division and you go oh well if they lose this game and they lose that game and then you can see John Keir turning up at another club but he'll be on the telly at least Next time that when the uh, Challenge Cup semi finals talking, roll around, talking good sense, you just talk good done. sense. Um, I didn't break it, not like that chair at Castle, but I broke that time. Um, no one else has been sat this week, have they? Not yet, not mm. as as we speak. Mm. Quickly checks phone. <laughs> Alert. No, no. It's, been a, it's been a transfers are starting to fill. Yeah, and the interesting thing about these is they all obviously come out in the. Uh, in the press, in the media, on social media, and whatever, the the players and clubs must know 
yeah. months in advance yeah. who's going, who's staying, who's not. So Sam Walters today being announced at, at Wigan, for example, everyone will have known that weeks ago, or whatever, and, and it's not a surprise to anyone involved in those clubs, and and we just get on with it. No, and I think um, th- there is a cut-off date of May the first. After that time, you know whether you're being offered a contract or not. You also know what level of contract you are being offered. You, you know what other offers are out there in the market. So much of this work has already been done. It's just that it, it's when the clubs decide to. Wigan have obviously decided that today they will announce three of the people that they knew they'd already <laughs> signed. Um, Cruz Lehman is a really interesting one. Mm. Um, I don't know whether that means the end of. Cade Cust at Wigan whose who, um, contract is, is up for renewal um, it be very interesting to see who is the first choice hooker between Sam Powell and Cruz Lehman bearing in mind that one of the issues uh, Cruz likes is a, d- a degree of assurance that you know he'll have a, a, a certain influence over the team he plays for with the amount of ga- game time that he plays um, I think Sam Walters again has has different values to, to to different clubs, and clubs are also trying to put their own jigsaws together under a salary cap sport of, you know, if we re-sign Jared O'Connor, if we re-sign Ash Hanley, if we re-sign Jack Sinfield, if we re-sign Sam Lissoni, Sam Walters is worth a certain amount of money to us within our structure. If we're going to say we need a young strapping second row and he's worth more than that in our structure, and we're losing a Kai Pierce Paul. Um, you can see why players move and you cannot blame the player in some respects it's hard to blame the club as well um, but no there'll, there'll, there'll be more movement in that comes out I think um, I was listening to Catalan and Lee on French radio uh, which, which is a great listen you don't need to, to speak French um, if the commentator goes high Catalan have scored if he goes low the opposition <laughs> scored. but it's great um, and, and uh, Bruno who is a is a friend of ours whenever we see him uh, does a great job not only reporting for the local paper but does all the radio as well uh, he mentioned on his uh, on his broadcast that uh, Mikhail Goudemond was headed to Leeds so presumably they've decided to invest uh, that money in, in in him and not retain Sam Walters it's going to happen at every club yeah. there's, there's no drama it happens every year everyone gets yeah. over excited about players leaving and then when the new players come in and they're as good as the players have left or better and, everyone's going, yeah. oh, he was, and, he was and highly paid NRL players are not going to be coming over here <laughs> no matter how often they're linked with well they're, no, they're, all, they're all going to play Reunion because Eddie Jones has said so they're all, they're all off to the, uh, the Reunion if they're a first choice starter on a very big contract in the NRL they are not going to be coming here they may be linked with here but they're not coming Luke Brooks was never coming um I think these things get made up. It's like Ruben Wickey was coming to Wakefield for years. He never came. He never came. Um, Leeds Runners winning everything. Um, we'll go back to the rest of the men's Super League in a bit. But yeah, wheelchair Super League in Manchester, um, London thirty-eight, Wigan thirty, London Great second game. in the table. It was Great. very entertaining. Well, from play Leeds next as well. That's that's really significant. Is that the next Magic or is that in, is that in, in two weeks' time? To work that out. Um, but the next magic's at Medway anyway. So. Yeah, but it, it's good to have, much like York in the women's game. It's good to have a team that is not a traditional team at the top end of the men's Super League, challenging for honours. It just makes things a bit different. Yeah, which London, obviously, I support London. So and London, yeah. which is yeah. significant for the sport. Um, Hull beat Warrington, sixty points to twenty-four. I saw um, 
Martin Norris tweet yesterday, obviously just moved to Hull from Wigan, that he's involved in the uh, Armed Forces wheelchair. Yeah. So they're another element to the sport, which is obviously going to be big going forward. Really significant. So that's good to see that. And, and He was brilliant. Big big signing for Hull. And uh, again, if, if, if you know, Hull's got that facility at the the university where we had the cup final last year, I think the, the group had the cups there again this year, mm. I think. So yep. again... It, it, it's a growing thing and in the the, the the grand final rematch if you didn't see this it's worth catching the highlights because this Leeds and Halifax rivalry they, there is some needle there some uh, some some needle more than the uh, Isle of Wight I think it's really it's a bit of a torturous metaphor but there you go um, the thing about that is instead of trying to yeah clearly there's a line you can't go over if, if the, the spats break out between the respective teams it has to still be respectful and done in the right spirit but there is clearly some genuine animosity between the teams that it's a rivalry that is built up um, over a, a number of issues uh, and my take on it would be let it go it's brilliant for the sport it's it, you know, we want narratives we want stories we want to you know, Nathan Mulhall has moved from Halifax to Leeds he's involved in the latest, you know, here's what I think about Halifax just with Beaton and brilliant, you know, let's just build up these rivalries. And it, it was it was a great match. 34 fantastic 28 match. to Leeds. 24 nil to Leeds early on. Yeah. Halifax came back to 28-24, looked like they were going to win it. They had a lot of momentum with them and um, some bloke called is Halliwell and another guy called yeah. Collins, I think, you know, they, they ensured that Leeds were. It was a fantastic game. I think I've said Nathan Collins is my favourite player. I think I've said that. I shouldn't say that. I should have support London. No, I, should, I should pick someone from London. Um, Lewis King is your favourite. We've spoken to him. He's, he's been on a couple of times. Um, next time, say all the time. There's no point me saying it because you know it already. But next time there's some wheelchair games, then you go watch it. If not, just watch it on the screens because it is the perfect television sport because of how big the pitch is and the hits and the sound and people bashing into each other the only thing that's better about being there live is laughing at people reacting to the hits and thinking someone's going to have their leg fall off or something which does tend to happen when people are watching it for the first time up at 8th of July venue Leeds Rhinos it says so uh, wherever that is uh, it'd be Leeds Beckett oh, oh no it might be Leeds University I think they're, they're playing their home games at Leeds University well, I might have to pop along to that one then he says don't think I'm working that list. That's uh, that's a positive. Speaking of the Leeds Rhinos, you may have heard of them. Uh, they, they won the nines silverware. Well, not silverware, glassware kind of. The big, big paperweight. Yes, big paperweight. I got to see Zoe Holmes back. She's good. Um, she played very well. Um, so yeah, and again, well done, Wigan, for getting to the semi-finals and indeed the final, knocking mm-hmm. out York in the semis of the defending champions. So twenty-one-eight to Leeds. Well done, Leeds. You've won Hitro. Look like a good day. Yeah, it, it, as you say earlier, it's a shame it was on at the same time as the wheelchair. So you have to you can't really concentrate on both. And again, it's whether you, like you said earlier as well, if you have it before the Salford game, that might be a. I don't know. I don't know what you do with it, but it, it, it's obviously a good thing. It, it's it's a bit of a proof of concept thing, isn't it? That a mm. nines event works. It's just how you use that elsewhere. Um, like having two women's origin games and then deciding by aggregate. No, 
to be fair, they've moved from one to two. They were by twenty twenty five. They will have moved from two to three, and and I do think there is something about building and making sure that it, you know you're not yeah. distilling the, the the product by playing it too often. And you know, State of Origin for the men started with one game. It was the third game of the the series, but it was State of Origin for just one of those games. Um, and look at it now. Can't believe Leeds have signed another player from uh, Huddersfield Women as well. Surely wondered uh, yeah. where she'd gone. <laughs> well, you could have told me. I didn't know. Not everything. How was the Hall of Fame, by the way? Poignant. Yeah, poignant because oh, yes. um, mm-hmm. clearly one of its members passed away on Friday before the great Bev Risman. Um Yeah. I, I, there's a great atmosphere in the room. It's it's wonderful to be able to tell the story. I think for me, the the nicest thing is that the whole of the first team squad are there mm. uh, and the staff and extremely attentive. They want to know the history of the club they play for. They want to look at some of the players that are coming up on stage who maybe frail old men as they see them, but suddenly hear about their deeds and might play in the same position and it, it, it means a lot David Ward one of the greatest most uh, vociferous captains Leeds have had was sat on the table with three young players Jared O'Connor was one of them who's just re-signed for a, you know, another three years with the club and David Ward over lunch is telling them some of his stories and what it means to him to have played for the club and instilling in them um, if you like the ethics and values of you know, for me, it's it's a very important um, celebration, and it's equally important that the spread of people who are inducted tells the story. Mm. So you do go from you know Jim Bacon, who was the captain a hundred years ago when they won the cup, to Keith Senior, who everybody saw play and think, oh, brilliant. I remember, yeah, think yeah. Keith, yeah. Um, I, I, brilliant for me. Tell us about Beth Risman. What? For those who don't know anything about him whatsoever, Bev obviously came from a dynastic family. The name that um, is resonant with you know, everything that's good in rugby league. His father Gus played for twenty-five years, then went on and coached, and, and the game in Cumbria, uh, where, where they lived, um, was professional sides were around the Risman family, um, particularly uh, Gus coaching Workington. Um, Bev then obviously had a lot to live up to played rugby union to start with played for England went on a British Lions tour clearly had a rugby league skill so was very coveted Lee signed him in the early 60s played him predominantly at standoff um, it was bought to Leeds uh, in 66 by Roy Francis just as limited tackles were coming in and Roy had a group of very young backs in particular one of whom Barry Seaborn was inducted into the Hall of Fame um, and he needed an old head decided he would play um, Bev at fullback so that he could have the panoramic view of all these kids and organise them and Bev always used to joke you know, because of some of the people in the team like Mick Shoebottom never had to make a tackle in his life which of course is not <laughs> true a brilliant goal kicker um, Found a new lease of life at Leeds in that fullback role. Played in the water splash final. Became captain of the Great Britain team that played in the 1968 World Cup, which was quite ironic because on the tour was Mick Clark, who was actually the captain at Leeds. But Bev was deemed to be the right guy to have in a touring environment. 
1969 Leeds won the championship for the second time Bev played in that game uh, really bruising encounter set up the, the winning try uh, with a wonderful kick over the defence for John Atkinson to chase um, but had a, a terrible knee injury that ended his career slightly prematurely but one of the reasons he was not happy but was prepared to, to stand down was because some kid called John Holmes was coming up through the ranks and took his spot um, but that, but it didn't end there for Bev. That that was the end of his playing career. He he fully understood the concept of development. So he was involved with Fulham when they first started. He even coached them for a year. Director at London Broncos, first development officer for the RFL in the south of England. Massive in student rugby league. Really important in uh, the formation of that and, and helping put that on. President of the RFL, um, an ambassador for the sport. You know, Buckingham Palace garden parties, all that kind of thing. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic guy. Um, quiet, unassuming. When you when you think that all of the things he'd seen and who who his dad was, such a legendary figure, you would never have guessed any of that when you just got him in conversation. Uh, was involved in a West End play called The Changing Room, which David Story wrote, putting that on. Uh, ev- everything about him bled rugby league. Uh, his brother John also had that. Um, idea of development he was um, coach of he, he played professionally for Carlisle but coach of Scotland and Serbia um, so yeah a fabulous family a wonder, you know, wonderful member of it um, it's going to be a really sad miss for, for, for rugby league 85 left a, left a tremendous legacy very very classy player so I, I, I enjoy these Things when you're able to watch Liverpool about these people, it's a sad. It means that we have old. To, it's sad that we have to do them in the circumstances. But it's always good to hear about people who you know, we stand on the shoulders of as a, as whatever we are today. Um, so Leeds won. We know that they they beat Huddersfield fifty four nil. Paul Kiarbeck Wakefield twenty eight twelve. Don't even say Luke Gale played. Luke Gale played and scored and threw an interception. <sighs> the the only thing about that is, and I get. We have to credit Hull KR. They're going through a, a bit of an injury crisis. They they played in the cup in a mm. you know, really bruising game. Wakefield had a week off. Wakefield coming off this morale boosting win. Well, a, a, a win that was going to turn the season around. <laughs> I get all of that, all the right things to say. The trouble is, if you then lose the next game, the two points you gained against Leeds are no more valuable. No, uh, and, and not helped by the fact that the team just above them in the team they, they won again. Yes. They're doing Darrell Powell. Uh, Castleford 23 Warrington 14 14 left at half time as well at the uh, yeah apparently um, Cass given a stand innovation when they came off at half time uh, Gareth would up again against his old club playing really well Warrington getting it back to 14 all, mm. and you would have thought then perhaps momentum with them if such a concept exists um, and as Daryl Powell admitted, falling away when it really mattered towards the end of the game. Didn't have George Williams, uh, didn't have Josh Shrinkwater, now won't have James Harrison. So, yeah, Warrington in a little bit of a hole at the moment. But as we said when James was here, I, I think they seem to be second in the league. Yeah, and and you would fancy their chances this week, wouldn't you, as they... Uh, oh, no, they took on Leeds. Leeds are back, I forgot. Um, but, that, I mean, that's a... That's a fascinating game on Thursday because yeah. obviously you've got the, the the pressure of Warrington now useless and in second in the table. Leeds have had that big result. 
everyone says it now consistently inconsistent everyone says it about everything well yeah and the first game of the season in fact the, the match that opened the season was Warrington against Leeds at the Halliwell Geode Stadium and that was Warrington's initial statement game oh, yes. where they said forget about 2022 this is the new Warrington and they absolutely thrashed Leeds um, so it, it will be interesting on Thursday Catalan's lead sounded uh, exciting 38 Again, points to 30 Catalan 20 nil up yeah. running away with it Lee then taking the lead and Catalan just having enough uh, fortitude to, to win it late on Lee only naming 18 players because um, they had some suspensions um, but going out there and making again a bonding few days of it uh, yeah they've, they've got something this year Lee and uh, full credit to Derek Beaumont who I know you know he's Marmite isn't he sometimes he says stuff that you think that's great why can't everybody take a leaf out of his but other times you're going not sure you should be on social media Derek <laughs> um, he, he was honest enough to say that he'd had such a great time and again uh, nearly 10,000 people there it was Catalonian Heritage Weekend and he was saying he's revised his opinion about what the French teams bring to Super League. So, you know, full credit to him for that. Did, he give him, did Bernard Gouache give him some free meat or something? Say wine, he though. said, if you don't, I'm going to strap you to this bull. Oh, not the bull again. Um, Wigan beats Salford. Wigan, another inconsistently consistent team, uh, beat Salford. Good results for them. Uh, and again, a couple, couple of weeks now where Salford uh, wobbled a little bit. Yeah. be interesting to see how Paul Rowley uh, rallies again some depleted troops but uh, yeah there's, there's I, I suspect Salford are, uh, are probably again ahead of where maybe we saw them uh, yeah, I mean, what would hurt them is, is not being on the road to Wembley still that's the problem for Huddersfield isn't it is the fact that Lee and Salford are yes perhaps where you wouldn't have expected them to be and Huddersfield are not where they were expecting to be. Which, of course, the Salford fans, although they've lost on today, they can all still laugh at Ian Watson's <laughs> defeat on Friday, so I guess, they, I guess they're really bitter about that. Uh, Ian Boldsworth has just tuned in, just in time for Hull 54, uh, 34 even, St Helens 6. Uh, another indicative result of how inconsistent everyone in the middle of the table seems to be at the moment. I mean, after the game in the Cup last week, take out the Griffin incident and everything, I don't think you'd have seen that result coming on Thursday. Not necessarily, or not not twenty two nil at half time. I think this is the performance of the weekend. Absolutely sensational, mm. and in some respects, the genius of Tony Smith, because straight after that cup defeat, he said, "Oh yeah, there'll be changes. I'll bring some players in." Um, he freshened up his squad in that five day turnaround. Uh, gave some people the opportunity to prove that they deserve to be in there when the next team is picked, but also rested some of his guys for later on in the season. Saints look jaded to me. Um, probably didn't change their squad enough, but had one of those collective performances whereby as soon as Hull started to get on top, yeah. nothing that St. Helens could do about you know, Jack Wellsby, who been so important in winning them the cup tie looked tired at the back made a couple of mistakes not least kicking a ball dead when he should have done but full credit to Darnell McIntosh who I think probably had his best game in a whole shirt uh, for keeping the ball in play Jake Truman Jake Clifford back massive for, for Hull um, but just you know why do we love sport because everything that 
we're told before we go to a game doesn't happen when we go and see it <laughs> because sport can do that. And Hull were magnificent. The, the, you know, every aspect of their game was completely spawn and, and even afterwards, you know, Tony wasn't making a big deal about it because he, I think, he, the, the inner satisfaction of knowing that he's got a group of players, irrespective of who he picks, that will play for him, uh, was fantastic. Hull are back. Oh, they would. They would describe the. the yeah. Well, as, as, you, as you said earlier, they, they knew what this season was going to be. They haven't deviated from whatever the plan is, and you'd imagine they would re- reap those rewards eventually. Yeah, they will. No, they absolutely will. And I, I know they're, they're losing Chris Sartai, who was massive for them again. Um, be interesting because they're playing Catalan this week. It'll you know Sartai mm. against his new employer. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think it. There's, sometimes you can watch a team play and you know that however long they're going to play for it's just not going to be their night you know, knocking on it to play the ball or getting upset when um, you know a, a, a pass goes beyond someone T. Ritson getting caught very fast that fellow not fast enough though this week. Just all, all of those things you know it's not cumulatively as it starts to move away you score and then you concede in the next set it's it's not your night but you have to credit the opposition for that five day switch um, and, I, and I think you know it was vindication of what Tony's trying to do at Hull it's David Fafita's birthday on Wednesday apparently happy oh. birthday David excellent um, and also um, the, the readers polling league express this week who is the best referee in Super League James Charles there's none of the above you can't vote for none of the above they're all, they're all crap uh, Ian says have you ever gone back to Hull twice in one week and been in the mood to bother <laughs> That's a bit harsh, isn't it? They've got culture there. They've got white telephone boxes, Hull Truck Theatre, Marina, a marina uh, that, the, the deep. deep, yeah, Viking Radio. Is that still going? I don't think it is. Radio Humberside, something. Humber Bridge, Humber Bridge, um, Hull KR. Who's the famous Hull people? The Road to Britain, Clive Sullivan, Cl- Clive Sullivan Way. Um, there must be some famous people from the, the, the slavery fellow, the anti-slavery fellow, William. Yes, yeah, before him. Um, Boston, Paul Heaton, Rotterdam, Rot- yeah, Rotterdam. There you go. Yeah, the beautiful South, House Martins. Um, no, I'm stuck. Stuck. There's, some, there's a nice ice cream shop in Beville. Oh, there you go. And it, there, there are times when, when we've been to matches where I will just spend looking on Wikipedia looking for famous people so I can do the thing at the end of the match but off the top of my head Courtney there you go all the famous Hall people not um, Judy Dent is she, I thought she was York is it, is it is like she, oh. you know, it's, it's like Leeds claims Henry Moore and that doesn't he? he's from Castleford but he's close you know he's in the sphere Leeds city of culture what's going on with that you know being passed what's that pub in, on the three legs that's culture for you Um Paul Heaton isn't from Holter's team. He's from Sheffield, isn't he? I think. Oh, but you know the, you the house, Matt. Yeah, yeah. what was Hull for London? Yeah. Um, Rick Ashley, maybe we should get him out again. Maybe because he's from the Under Willows. Derek Bowman should be on the phone. Highway get, to get him there doing uh, doing the Smiths covers. ACDC classic. Yeah, that's what that's what we need. We need Rick Ashley at the grand final or the Challenge Cup final. We ain't got enough time at the Challenge Cup final. We've got too many games to play. Um, in the championship this week, Batley lost. So I mean. What's going on there? Lingard out. 20 points to 18 against London. Halifax beat Barrow 40. Good result for London, though. Great result. Very good result. And um, 
I think that's the first time I've heard Craig Lingard critical of his team because uh, spirit is what's got them to yeah. where they are and I think he felt that they disrespected London when they saw the, the team sheet that they had a few players missing but yeah, it's it's building up to make the eighteen ninety five really interesting because they could play each other in the final which would be great wouldn't it um, Halifax 48 Barrow 20 Keithley 28 Whitehaven 18 which we spoke about earlier uh, Sheffield oh Jim Charles on the chat now Sheffield 40, Newcastle nil. Nearly 900 there on a Friday night, which is not bad. I'm going to say it's not bad, I don't know, is, it, is that good? It, it, it seems good. Uh, Toulouse 52, Bradford 14. Big result for Toulouse, who are almost impossible uh, to beat at home. Uh, but that, you know, Bradford, what, coming off five games mm. unbeaten run? Uh, I'm not sure they saw the magnitude of that defeat coming. Have Toulouse now become Catalans in that they win at home but not away? Is that their new? Because that's obviously the the thing we say about Catalans all the time is a back up to second and to lose. Mm. Uh, Level on points with the Eagles and the Bulldogs. Um, Witness eighteen, Swinton twenty five, of course, which is the result that did for Martin Kellner. Your Jumper. boys got yeah. another victory. So if we did Swinton, it'd just be Martin Kellner. That's it. Um, and his brother. And, and is that it? Simon. Is that, yeah, is that all the Kellners? No, there's a sister. But I don't think she's a Swinton fan. No. Is that all the people from Swinton? I mean, oh, sorry, I don't know. If any, I don't, is there any, any more famous people from Swinton? Um, and uh, York eight, Fenton twenty four. Fenton continue there. I mean, the, the interesting thing for them now is, isn't it? They're not going to finish off top of the table, but they've got to win the whatever we're calling the end of season mm. game. Mark Carella back though, so that's mm. that's big for them because I think he he gives them a different dimension from fullback. Um, this week in the championship it is Toulouse versus Witness on Saturday of course Whitehaven York on, on Wednesday and on Sunday Barrow Batley which is obviously a big game for uh, both ends of the table again Bradford Keithley uh, London Newcastle um, Swinton Sheffield Whitehaven Fev and York versus Halifax a big week for York and, yeah. and Whitehaven although you obviously would expect Whitehaven not to beat Fenton on Sunday York Halifax which could be yeah. the 1895 Cup final a preview of them this week uh, in League One Dewsbury 20 Oldham 8 Paul Sykes a thousand points for the Rams and to say he's been at Amazing. Wakefield and London and Bradford for long periods of his career has got a thousand points at one club Amazing 41 years old No, that he'll be in their Hall of Fame one day one would assume at Dewsbury uh, still knocking him over um, North Wales 20 Hunslet 30 big win for Hunslet they played at Chester. I think they're playing their next few games at Chester for the foreseeable future, at least anyway. Yep. And uh, Workington 16, Midlands Hurricanes 10. So a big win for Workington at uh, home. There's, there's a little bit of a gap, isn't it, between Workington and North Wales and Rochdale in that uh, mid-table. Yes. But the, again, the race way. for the final playoff place mm. is going to be interesting. Um, and the bottom of the table is, as you probably expect, with Cornwall and the, the Scholars there neither of which played this week this week in League 1 it is Hunslet Doncaster which is obviously a big game because that's 4th versus 2nd Midlands Dewsbury and North Wales versus Rochdale Hornets which is another massive game mm-hmm. and Oldham versus Workington which is another big game so all big games in League 1 we should uh, just watch League 1 instead uh, Super League on Thursday Warrington Leeds as mentioned Friday 4 games Lee Hull KR which will be very interesting mm-hmm. on the telly Lee obviously looking to bounce back from their game uh, Catalans which they wouldn't have expected to win anyway but 
Hall Care off the back of the win against Wakefield, but still with players missing and such. Saints cast cast up when at St Helens, apart from that time that they did, and ruined that record. Is that the um, Tom Maguire derby? It is. It must be, wasn't it? The, the winners get to keep top. Uh, Wakefield versus Salford. Um, should I go on Friday? And uh, Wigan versus Huddersfield. I do think that is a big test for Huddersfield. Not in necessarily the result but the manner in which they play they they can't uh, I don't think they can what would they do if they got another huge beating what what would the senior well, management do but this, we go back to this and this is this is always the question so say um, what if your fans say we've got to get rid of Mark Applegarth right? well, I would say well, what's the point yeah but but who who is out there well the obvious answer you're going to sell me now is Justin Holbrook but is Justin Holbrook going to jump straight from there to Huddersfield because why would you it's not I, I it's just, not as if it's St Helens I think when you look at Wakefield this year there was always effort hmm. you know I don't think anybody really thought that they're just not good there wasn't that's... anybody better than Mark Applegarth to run that team and I thought he spoke in a way that I had absolute utmost respect for the job he was trying to do with the resources that he had available uh, I think it's a little bit the same with Andy Last at Cash. You know, he, he's inherited a team. He's, he he is um, starting to get mm. his way of the way he wants to play across. He he will be in the market. You know, he's bought Craig Lingard on board. There's a couple of Championship players who are very highly rated going to Castleford next year. They'll play. That they will look and feel a little bit different. You can feel there's a little bit of momentum. The fans are enjoying what the young players are doing. Certainly on on, on Fridays. Yeah, well. everyone likes to see young players come through. I think the issue for Huddersfield, uh, and we just talked about Hull. You know where the things got really bad, but nobody was really calling for Tony Smith's head because they knew that yeah. given the time, the plan was there. Um, Adam Pearson got to the point where he couldn't keep changing things every time it, it you know it went wrong on the field there was a bigger picture my only issue with Huddersfield and again it's, it's nothing to do with whether Ian Watson is a good coach and he clearly is that is indisputable they looked like a group of players on Friday that were rabbits in headlights and if they look like that again against Wigan and then they've got to go to Catalan somebody who pays the bills will be saying do we need to make a change what do we do about this How, not, not do we need to make a change necessarily with the coaching team but what do we do to bring change and I, I, I don't know and I don't mean to bring, to bring it back to Jake Connor again because it's obviously not one player in one, one team but it's interesting that Hull didn't seem to be too bothered about him leaving and, no. and, and I know there were only two wins above Huddersfield in the table but it, it's just it's just fascinating how sometimes a player can be used as the pawn in this story. I think the thing about the way Huddersfield have been playing under Ian Watson and what Jake Connor could bring to that team, it didn't seem like an easy mix. Mm. Um, because I think if you buy Jake Connor, you've got to play Jake Connor, and then the question becomes: <laughs> right, okay, what position do you play him in? It, it, do you see him as a fullback? In which case. Alright, that's fine. Will Price is going to Newcastle, yeah. but what do you do with Tui Lola here, who you've come, who you've said consistently is your best fullback? <laughs> if you're going to play him at standoff, what does that say about uh, Ollie Russell, who you, who you say you, you, you know you want to play alongside Theo Fudge? What what does it say potentially about Isan Masters? Has he been signed as a centre, or is he is is he your, your standoff? It, it's really interesting that 
that mix when he signed we all said how is that actually going to work and I'm sure that that isn't the reason why they're where they are on the league table but it might be a reason as to what the issue is behind the scenes that there's a, an uncertainty about what they are and who they are and where how they play it's the Graham Onions effect this is what I call it when Graham Onions wasn't in the England test team in 10 years ago or whatever everyone would call for him to be in the England test team and when he was in the team he, he didn't do anything bad but he just thought oh he's just a player and Jake Connors now that when he's not in the team mm-hmm. why is he not in the team when he's in the team what's his role in the team it's like a signing they didn't necessarily need to make and as if, if they didn't have Jake Connor now would they be any further forward or backwards well we don't know do we because we're just speculating but I, I think again Huddersfield fans have been saying it, it's the it's the replacement for, for Danny Levy who was so dynamic at a dummy half um, and that's not a, to decry Nathan mm. Peters he's just a very different type of player um, and I think it looks now as though Levy is being missed more than Connors coming the point where I close the paper and go I think Rob Burrow was the coach of these rhinos Rob's rhinos on the rampage he's taken over he can do everything um, Ian has mentioned great tribute to Ben Heath in the Halifax game I'm sure the workers rugby league does do things well when it has to mm-hmm. and terribly tragic and uh, it's a year since Harry Gresham died I noticed at the weekend and as, as he would say enjoy your rugby league uh, we will and we will see you again next week